First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. I'm running into a new year, says Lucille Clifton in Kara's Chalice Lighting. We're running into a new year and we're leaving behind all the glittery glitter of the holidays, the magic of the sparkle time, and stepping squarely back into reality, back to the ordinary magic of ordinary time. So now comes the magic of snowfall and fog and starshine and wind chill and ice thaw and cardinal song. There's the magic of the tiny pumps installed in our tiny chests before we're born, a soft, miraculous mechanism held safe within the bone house of our ribs, and all of it grows as we grow, and that pumping heart does not stop by day and by night while we sleep, regardless of our will or our expertise in breathing. It beats for 80 years or 90 years, sometimes 100 years. And just because that happens all the time, heartbeat, sunrise, moonrise, friendship, forgiveness, healing, hope, life itself, just because it happens all the time does not mean it isn't magical. Theologically, I tend to be a rationalist, an empiricist, a concrete logician, anchoring in the evidence and science so much more than faith. But still, most of this life is a miracle to me, not just because I don't understand how it works, but because I know none of us and none of our progeny will ever understand it, not completely. And that's where reverence comes in and hopefully humility and playfulness. I think part of our spiritual work as adults is to trace our steps back to wonder, back to the amazement that we knew as children when we went around open-eyed and open-mouthed, turning over rocks, poking everything with sticks, eating everything, wearying the grown-ups with our constant questions. Part of our spiritual practice in this technical, material age that we're in is wonder, not ignorance, but a seemly and appropriate awe, enough to keep us honest and enchanted several times a day. It's magical out there and in here, in these bodies. But this is actually not the kind of magic I'm thinking of this morning. I'm thinking instead about how I have seen people, ordinary necromancers, do impossible things. I have seen people work deliberate magic, and I know that you have also. I knew a colleague once who used alcohol for many years to mask his lack of confidence to hide his fear of failure, of being an imposter. He drank to put a happy face on Sundays and at board meetings and collegial retreats. And when at last the mask began to slip and his judgment and capacity began to slip and he came close to losing everything, congregation, career, his partner, his friends, even close to losing his own life, he stopped. He stopped drinking. He stopped drinking in public. He stopped drinking alone, stopped working for the congregation where he had done such damage. He stopped and faced the chemical addiction and also the addiction to his own worthlessness. The magic, the magic was not 
in stopping. Addiction doesn't work like that. You don't just wave a wand and stop. The magic was the shattering, the melting of something inside him, the unlocking of this rusty gate that protected his secret, protected his fear. The magic was that one day his loneliness and his sadness were so great that he leaked it out. He dared to speak it to somebody. He opened just enough and stayed open just long enough for the person's response to get into his bloodstream and into his mind and his heart. The person said, I see you. I hear you. I need you to survive. I believe you can do it. Let's do this together because I cannot unhear what you've just told me. The magic was the opening, the letting out, the letting in, just a crack and just enough to get him to one meeting and then another and the next and hundreds more. He stayed open enough to stay in the struggle, not all by himself, but first and ultimately under his own power, which is what lets in any higher power you may or may not believe in. He stayed open for the rest of his life, even when he stumbled once or twice or more along the perilous journey of recovery. He stayed in the work, and some of his friends and some of his family stayed too. And by this grueling magic, everything changed. Not once and for all, because addiction does not work that way, but for one day and the next, and then the next years and years of just taking the wand in his hand and transforming his own day. Grace and will and hope and grit and steadfast companions, all of that is magic. And you have seen it also, I know. I know a person whose soulmate up and died. He shouldn't have. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. They weren't that old. Their life together was beautiful and ordinary and joyful and sometimes annoying because sometimes you just take a person for granted and get that way. And sometimes it was golden. They were soulmates. They were sometimes even out loud grateful, embarrassingly so, because they had been lonely in their lives before they found each other. It was good. And then one day, Cancer came sashaying into their life, swaggering into their house without warning or appointment, and smashed up their plans and their bank accounts and their dreams and ransacked every corner like a burglar breaking up the furniture. And after a couple of years, which were a bleak eternity, Cancer left as quickly as it came, having gotten what it wanted, leaving one of them dead and the other exhausted and bereft and more than unspeakably sad, just numb, without much will to live. So the impossible thing here, the miracle, is that this person did not also die, not physically and not spiritually. There were many temptations, but inexplicably, inexplicable to the point of magically, she found the will the grace, the bit of breath, to whisper and to pray, please help me. And in time to open her mail again and open the door and answer the phone and let all these drops of loving, living water from the outside world work magic on her concrete heart, softening the stone. My friend will always be brokenhearted, 
but her heart is still beating, and it is a grateful heart. I've seen people do impossible things, and you have too. Laugh again, love life again, trust again, a ordinary, amazing sorcery. The thing is to love life, says Ellen Bass, a poet, to love it even when you have no stomach for it and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper, your throat filled with the silt of it. You think, how can a body withstand this? And then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming spot, smile, no violet eyes. And you say, yep, I will take you. I will love you again. That is deep magic to say yes like that, to walk on the water of change like that, the roiling waters, knowing what we know and what we don't. Some people say God watches over us and pulls us through the darkest time. That might be true. Others say they're summoned from within by strength and hope they never knew they had. And who knows where God leaves off and our own power begins or where God leaves off and community begins. The old hymn says, when I was sinking down, sinking down, friends to me gathered round. And that is magic also. Corin Faith is a journalist who writes about contemporary witchcraft and neo-paganism. And they say, when I say magic, I don't mean the stagecraft of disappearances and card tricks and illusion, impressive as they are. I mean the ability to shape our lives and the world around us through belief, ritual, and the invocation of forces we may not fully understand. Magic, they say, is a spiritual technology. It's about the power of your will, but more than that, it's about the practice of bringing to the fore your deepest desire connecting you to your truest heart and then deploying your will, not so much toward what you hope to have happen, but toward how and what and who you mean to be. You can't always get what you want, said a brilliant philosopher some decades ago, but you can discern what you need. For some people, this is what it means to pray. For others, this is what responsible agency looks like. For some, it's both at once. I see people working this magic all the time, the person with depression who pushes through the day, the parent wild with worry because their grown child is in such trouble and who without enabling just loves that child regardless because there's nothing else in this world that they are meant to do. The small circle of friends, all busy with jobs and family and sorrows of their own, who are making meals and sharing rides and writing cards and doing chores for somebody here who's sick, who can't, making time when they themselves have zero time. It's like pulling it out of a hat because it matters and they want to. You want to do it. Magic is this mix of will and hope. It's imagine that flashes out of nowhere and nothing you can name except maybe in hindsight. And our own magical powers to change our lives or heal the world or help a friend are always, always strengthened in community. This is how real magic differs from illusion, the tricks you see on a stage. Solitary sorcerers are charlatans. They're wily and weak, sometimes dangerous, our real power is relational. A few years ago, happily, 
I stumbled on this little phrase from Octavia Butler, so be it, see to it. And it sounds to me like a kind of incantation. Butler was a science fiction writer, one of the few women and even fewer African-Americans in that genre in the 1970s and 80s. She invented her craft and her life without any models out of the air. Butler was born in 1947 in Pasadena, raised by her grandmother and her mother, who worked as a maid. Her father, who was a shoe shiner, died when she was seven. After her own death in 2006, a librarian found among her papers a notebook filled with outlines and ideas for future books, and also a note that she wrote to herself on the inside back cover in Magic Marker. This is my life. I shall be a best-selling writer. Each of my books will be on the bestseller list, whether publishers push them hard or not, whether I'm paid a high advance or not. My novels will each travel up to the top of the list, and they reach the top, and they stay on top for months, at least two. Each of my novels does this. So be it, see to it underlined like four times. In a different pen, different color, later she added, I will find the way to do this. So be it, see to it. My books will be read by millions of people. I will buy a beautiful home in an excellent neighborhood. And then she goes on and on to expand this vision, little crimped writing, writing up the side of the thing, to begin shaping change beyond herself. I will send poor black youngsters to writers' workshops. I will help poor black youngsters go to college. I will get the best of health care for my mother and myself. I will hire a car whenever I need one. My books will be read by millions of people. So be it, see to it. There is something so poignant in this. It's prophecy. It's prayer. It's self-help and self-care for a black woman writer in a white male world. And she wrote these notes after She'd already won both the Hugo Prize and the Nebulous, Nebula Prize, the highest honors in science fiction writing. But still she needed to urge herself on. So be it. So be it is a petitionary prayer. May this thing come to pass. May this dream become reality. So be it is a prayer like may it be so or blessed be. But see to it is a commission. That is a summons to the spirit. So may it be, now make it happen. It is a beautiful, powerful, audacious spell. And it made me wonder when I first read it, and I wonder still, what would it be like if every Sunday to end the service with those words? There you'd be standing and singing, fill our minds with high endeavor, keep us just and pure in heart, and then you'd stop Turn to somebody next to you and say, so be it, see to it. Just and pure in heart. It brings the power back down to earth, where it belongs, where it can be put to use. It restores the magic wand to our own hands. I have seen, and you have also, ordinary people working magic all the time. Sometimes it takes all the will, all the hope and concentration they've got to speak the charm, to work the spell, to levitate the spirit, lighten the heart. But people do it all the time. With the help of friends and strangers, you do it all the time. You change the structure of the world. 
In one of her most famous novels, The Parable of the Sower, Butler had a character speak this charm. Create no images of God, except the images provided. They're everywhere and everything. God is change, seed to tree, tree to forest, rain to river, river to sea, grubs to bees, bees to swarm, forever uniting, growing, dissolving, everything changing. The universe is God's self-portrait. And her story tells how human beings embracing change actually begin to shape it. Your congregation now is in the midst of change you did not choose, or so it feels. You've been in the midst of change for some time, several years, against a backdrop beyond these walls of massive global changes, upheavals in our country and our world that we could not have imagined, from abortion rights to mudslides to climate change, insurrection, cities on fire, black bodies shot down, a pandemic that just about brought us to our knees. The recent changes in the congregation over five years, seven, more, maybe more, all have happened within this larger context of disruption. We think of our congregations as if they're immutable and fixed, like cathedrals, as if church were synonymous with church building, but nothing's ever permanent, least of all buildings. Look at Notre Dame. Look at Stonehenge. Look at this building, a perfect example of mid-century architectural elegance, and now in its late middle age, a perfect obstacle course for anyone with mobility challenges. But changes come, and not all change is bad at great expense over eons of time, according to Al. You've embraced it. And you'll celebrate the new lift today because what hasn't changed is your commitment to accessibility for everybody. In the spring, you'll celebrate a new kitchen because what hasn't changed is your commitment to community and the warmth of hospitality. Everything changes, sometimes traumatically, sometimes on purpose and for the better, sometimes quietly evolving, we have nothing to do with it, sometimes wrenchingly, and it's all our fault. Nothing in a church or in this world is fixed. And how you meet change, how bravely you embrace it and discern what matters, what doesn't, how you choose to shape it to your vision, which is a shared vision. It's multifaceted, complicated, therefore, but it's like a gemstone. That's where the magic comes in. What manner of people do you mean to be together? In the forum later, we'll talk a little bit more about the community conversations that were held this fall. What I'll say now is that in those 10 sessions held in the fall, I heard a lot about grief and loss and disappointment. I heard about Reverend Mark and Reverend Aaron and Reverend Jennifer and Reverend Amy and ministers way further back. And no unified consensus about who was beloved and who was not. No consensus, which is no surprise. 
I heard about staffing struggles and frustration and glory days and powerful work in the wider community and deep pride well-earned in your steady growth over many years and your leadership as a breakthrough congregation. And I heard regret and resentments, remorse, as those days became memories, as if your best days were behind you, which I know they are not. I heard how much you missed each other during the pandemic closure and how concerned you are, concerned but actually mostly sad, about religious education and how many families have left and not yet come back. And I know it doesn't help the sadness to assure you that most congregations, Unitarian Universalist and others, have seen exactly the same thing. And children will be back. So just listen. Right? Do not say children aren't here. Don't ever say that because you're betraying those people we're hearing right now. They will be back. But first, we have to reinvent family ministry for the 21st century. A small job, but you can do it. This is about embracing change and the slow, grueling magic of deliberate evolution. I heard a deep reluctance to let go of power, of the past, of control, of expectations, an undercurrent of distrust and discontent, a kind of subterranean homesick blues. And loud and clear and consistently and unmistakably, I heard and the board members in the room heard love of this church and its people, trust in this church and its people, love in spite of disappointment, love, trust in spite of disagreement. I heard gratitude for the church and its people and commitment to Unitarian Universalism, even as our movement itself changes and evolves in ways we cheer and ways we're not so sure about. It's a kind of faith that you've said will sustain you still and could yet transform the world. At the end of every session, we invited each person in the circle to speak a prayer for this church, a word of hope as your new chapter opens. And this was hard for some, but every person did it. You blessed the possibility. You took the face of your church, which is all these hundreds of faces in your palms, and said, yes, I will take you. I love you still. And each person lit a candle, and the space was filled with light. It is so clear to me that love is at the center here, not a romantic or sentimental love. It is powerful and pragmatic, and it is magical. Your love of this church and its work in the world, its place in your lives, your love for each other, for those who are present in the space right now, for those who have gone before, beloved, and for those who are not here yet but will be if you conjure the magic and the will. I want to read again that prayer from the meditation, but this time as an incantation. And after each line, I invite you to speak the words of Octavia Butler. So be it. See to it. It's easy to memorize. And these are the candles you lit in the conversations. May each and all of you be safe and out of the path of harm. So, so be it. 
May you be creators of safety for one another in your homes, your communities, and the earth. May you find rest from what has wearied you and healing from what has wounded you. May you find wellsprings of energy, spirit, creativity all around you, and may you drink deeply. Just close your eyes for the rest of these lines and picture the faces of your people, people you love and admire here, people with whom you have scuffled or whom maybe you don't trust fully, but maybe could. May courage in action and clarity of conviction be your constant companions. May you resist the temptation to critique what is wrong without also creating what could be right. May you find companions who challenge you. May each day be graced with moments of joy and wonder and a reminder that none of you is alone. May your imaginations be freed from the limitations of what's already been and unfurl toward the audacious possibility of what another way, another world could be. May you be co-creators of the world for which all our hearts yearn, but which we've not yet seen. Amen. Thank you.